Hi everyone and welcome to the Indie Dev Game Break Podcast, where we interview indie game creators and force them to take a break from their labors of love and talk about their inspiration, the technology, and the top games that influence them. I'm your host, Grant Carstensen from Stray Voltage Games. today is Mike Wills. Mike is a solo indie developer with Enphoenix Games and headquartered in the lovely Annapolis Valley in Nova Scotia, Canada. Enphoenix creates 2D and 3D games for the PC and has several titles under their belt, including Devastation, Annihilate the Alien Race, and its 3D sequel, Devastation 2, Repatriation. Both are available on Steam. Mike's current project is Vervias, a first-person horror shooter. And if, that's, if the soundtracks and style of Mike's games don't speak for themselves, he's also a cyberpunk and synthwave dubstep fan. Mike, welcome to the Indie, Dave, Indie Dev Game Break podcast. It's great to have you here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Yeah, so let's get started. So, Mike, let's start with uh, what drew you to becoming an indie game developer. So I have a very creative personality, and what I grew up doing it was creative crafts and and designs and stuff like that so um i always had this theory in my mind when i when i grew up that left-handed people um were more creative uh imaginative uh they they always like daydreaming uh intuition and they liked rhythm and uh visualization uh, compared to like right-handed people so it was always something I felt true growing up because I enjoyed all these things, but later finding out, like, even if you Google it, it's, it's basically, it doesn't matter which hand that you yeah, use. Yeah. So yeah, it's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies though. You liked it. You felt yeah. that it fit you. And you yeah. Cool. So I had a, a, a big interest in video games uh, in general. It was mm-hmm. triggered by playing the regular Nintendo uh, in 19, 19- I'm going to say 89 Hmm. when we first got it. Um, I wasn't like functionally uh, cognitive at that time because obviously I was one years old. But um, (laughs) as my uncles and my family played uh, the system um, at three years old, I was always trying to figure out how to play the game. So um, it always inspired me as I grew up because um, I used to play like Tasmanian Devil and and stuff on the, on the Sega Genesis as well. But uh, um, when I was early in school, I'm going to say like grade one, mm-hmm. uh, I was inspired to make a fake laptop out of a Cheerios cereal <laughs> box because <laughs> um, uh, my my grandparents always had uh, a computer and my grandma used it for her business. And this computer ran the Windows 95 software. So there was a couple games on it that were free, like Lion King. Um, There's this cool hover game. But um, every Christmas, I would get like uh, these shareware demos or even like the the CDs that you would get in the cereal boxes Mm. that had uh, all these games on it. So um, I always like explored the library and I came across like Doom, Duke Nukem, Wolfenstein and Quake. Uh, some other games like Commander Keen and Compa- uh, Commander Keen Goodbye Galaxy. Um, so id Software yep. was like very like well, the, the company the, that I used. Yeah, they so. were the shareware champions of the world at that time. Uh, yeah, time of life. Yeah. yeah, a fake laptop, eh? How did it work? So <laughs> uh, I cut out a little a uh, little mouse, yeah. and then uh, my grandmother was always doing crafts and stuff. So there's some yarn. So I used yarn as the the cord for the mouse, and then oh, nice. I had um, the keyboard was built inside the box. So uh, if you looked at uh, like the box from top to bottom, the bottom was the keyboard, and then standing up, um, it was the back of the monitor. That's very cool. I have, um, I got a funny story about fake laptop. That word triggers something in my memory. I had one of my uh, middle daughters when she was about three. She kind of had a fake laptop thing. I can't remember what it was. She didn't make it. It was nowhere near as complex as yours. It was more like a, you know, she wrote on a piece of paper and I think found an old keyboard and that was her. But she didn't want, she got so mad, had a full on temper tantrum, not because she wanted a laptop. She wanted a fake laptop. 
and it had to be a fake laptop. She spent about an hour in her room screaming that I want a fake laptop. <laughs> okay. Because this was probably a little bit later than your your um, your period. And, uh, you know, we had real laptops, but no, it had to be a fake laptop. So. <laughs> Anyways, if I, I should have called you. You would have had it. So the... Um, I saw as well, uh, you, you did NSCC program um, in game development, was it? That's correct. What did you think of that program? So I really liked uh, like the whole setup. Like uh, I think Truro was the only uh, school that offered the program. So um, just being able to move out of my parents' basement and get out on my own to uh, go to school, was, it was great. So the experience was very nice. Um, the course itself, um, it was very, very new. Mm-hmm. So as I was learning through uh, the first year, um, I was learning uh, Python, a JavaScript, and mm-hmm. how to use like the very, very basics of Unity. And then during the second year, uh, we were learning C Sharp. So I was learning three languages there, but at the time I was only using C sharp for the second year because that's kind of what unity is like yeah. tied to. Good. How did you like it? You found it very like effective. Yeah. It actually like the projects that we did in the school really brought out something um, out of my personality. So when I started making these games, I got more and more inspired. Like, oh, how do you make the time on the uh, the UI screen? And how do you count down the seconds? And how do you clamp this mm-hmm. uh, to zero? And just like doing different things and mechanics um, really, really brought an excitement to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and imagine with a program like that, especially when you're, you're new to developing and you're new to this stuff in general, getting to see make working things right getting to see the end result and uh was probably motivating exactly doing a, yeah. a school project with a you know a sort algorithm like i did in comp sci <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know uh, we had one project that we were doing and i was like i want to build a first person shooter and it's like obviously i really like doom so mm-hmm. um this project uh i stayed up all night literally i stayed up all night working on this because it was due the next day and i had to get <laughs> it done and so it was like i didn't have my presentation until 10 o'clock in the morning so i stayed up until 10 o'clock and then i ran across the field that we used to live behind the school yeah. and then uh, in class I would present it. And then I was just so excited to present it. And then after it was done, I just, I literally went home and crashed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's very cool though. Periods of dense learning has, uh, as I think Carmack used to refer to it in his id days. <laughs> um, so t- tell me about the first game you made or an early memorable game that you made. So the very, very, very first game that I made, um, it wasn't like from scratch. It was that RPG Maker 2000 for the Windows 98. Mm -hmm. And um, this gave me the tools to build an RPG game. Um, And since I was inspired to to play my all-time favorite childhood game, Landstalker, Hmm. um, I always wanted to have a sequel to that game because Climax Entertainment, I'm not sure what happened. Uh, I think they broke up or whatever, Mm -hmm. but um, this game inspired me so much to make a second game. So RPG Maker really gave me those tools. So I was always downloading all these sprites, all these swords and stuff that I could implement into the game. And then um, the only way you could save this game was... uh, on a floppy disk. So I'd have to go down to Staples, buy a big giant pack of floppy disks. Cause I think it like my game was actually too big to fit on like one or two. I need like six or seven. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, yeah, that would technically be the first game that I ever made. Nice. Yeah. I, um, uh, one of my early games was, and I tended to make it on almost every system I, I got to was, bard's tale an old school rpg and uh i found every computer that i got over the years i'd build kind of the very basics of it <laughs> and then, <laughs> i'd be like oh, oh it's so exciting and then eventually i moved on to other things but yeah building sequels was a common thing i think early in 
in in indie careers you know just yeah. some it's because you know gives gives you gives you the formula to go out and build and i don't know about yourself myself i'm i'm a developer and as much as i like making games i still think deep down i like i like half working on the game engine more than the actual game <laughs> but <laughs> so, anyway very cool so land stalker 2 um tell, tell me about the first game you made that you're really proud of like the first one where you're like all right that's a proper game so I'm always really, really proud of all the games that I make. Um, I mean, the very first one that I was very proud of, like, I'm going to say Devastation 2, mm-hmm. because at the time um, we had, we just had a new uh, baby in the family and I was taking care of her during the nighttime. So I spent pretty much um, before she was born up to uh, her first year, I was building Devastation 2 and I'm like what I had to do was basically dedicate my entire time a year and four months to build Hmm. this massive amount of content for this game. So I was building videos and music and doing the level designs in Photoshop 3D and Pro Builder uh, asset in Unity that I used to create the enemies and the weapons. And I actually exported these 3D models into After Effects and then created 3D, 2D images um, for the game. So it was a lot of work. I was, I'm was, i just super proud of that I was able to cre- create something that large mm-hmm. um, and actually be able to release it at the same time. With a baby sitting beside you the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully she was a she or he was a decent sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> I was very quiet. <laughs> That's, That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. Um, I, I played the first Devastation there. I, I, I got through it. I, I, I managed to win it. I don't know if my score is anything to uh, write home about, but I quite enjoy those those shmup bullet hell games. Yeah. Times. yeah. <laughs> so I haven't played the second one yet, though. So it, it, Now, the second one is, a, a th- is it a like a 3D game? Yeah, it's it 3D. Like it. So I basically took Devastation 1 yep. and turned it into 3D. <laughs> so the difference in work was a complete wow. like massive amount like so yeah. you got a 2d images and code for the yeah. first one that's it but the third one is like code 2d images and 3d modeling so it's like mm. it's way bigger Wait, is it a lot of like the same art just you you built models and, and managed to repurpose it or do you have to do pretty much everything kind of from scratch um well i built the models and then use those uh models as images or icons so i built like a missile yeah. then export the or actually no i screenshot it i screenshot uh it uh, like a close-up hmm. version of it and then basically photoshop it <laughs> give it some cool little textures yeah um so you did all the art though in those games yourself yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing uh, well done um I'm curious on, on your journey into kind of that bullet hell because um, definitely devastation one that i played clear like bullet hell there's i don't know how many bullets on the screen at <laughs> one time but a lot and you know you have your ship has that little hit box in the middle right yeah um at, what what research did you do as you kind of dug into that because there's, there's a lot of math behind building a proper bullet hell game it's not it's not simple so <laughs> i did have some help um because uh at NSCC, I be, uh, became friends with the the actual instructor of the program. So mm. um, he originally built a, a shmup that was called uh, Score Rush. And oh yeah, I went to Halcon like before the pandemic, and he had his game up for showcase or play test. Um, and we were playing it like crazy. So it, yeah. I was like, during that time at Halcon, I built this game called Treasure Quest. Um, it's like a basically Landstalker two, but in Unity <laughs> this time. So um, second time around, yeah, second time around with the actual <laughs> real stuff. Yep. So um, I got really inspired to build his game or a game um, like his, but in my own image. Yeah. So that's where I got the mechanics of Devastation One was from his game. Oh, very cool. Yeah, I um, I had a little little obsession with bullet hell, bullet hell briefly myself i found a um a really interesting article online it was i think his name's andrew fan 
And he wrote this whole article breaking down the math and the patterns on, he called it, I think Dan Maku is the Japanese term for it. I'm probably completely <laughs> Alberta butchering that Japanese word, but basically means, you know, hail of bullets, bullet hell is what it means. Yeah. But he did this whole thing that I used and it was like, a, the internet's so amazing. I mean, I don't know. When I was a kid making games on the, the old computer, you had your one book in your compute magazine and you, you, you and whatever games you had, and that was it. But this this thing painted all the math. I found found that really helpful. Um, I was trying you? to... Yep, go ahead. Sorry. I was trying to inspire my friend to build another shoot yeah. up game yeah. and uh, where you mentioned like the Japanese name of, of say, Bullet Hell. Um we came up with the name, uh, let's say like multi multiply. So it's like, everything oh, yeah. is a, is a multiplier. Like yeah. how many ships is on the screen, how many bullets on the screen, stuff like that. And then yeah. we came up with the name like Kakaroo. So oh, yeah. it's like, that's a really cool name for a shmup. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing I didn't realize as I looked into it, and, and this is what I've enjoyed as I've gotten back into indie games in the last 10, 15 years, a lot is just how many, uh, genres there are that are, there's, there's like, deep games in nowadays like the bullet hell genre is this whole sub community yeah and it's its and, own thing <laughs> yeah and there's some some real classics out there and some weird games too like some very bizarre <laughs> designs that uh anyway but they get some pretty pretty crazy patterns that you know i think one of the skills i i, I slowly realized with bullet hell is you have to like take a breath and go slow because there yeah. is a pattern if you look at it just at the first you're like oh that's it i give up but then you find out there's these little patterns and yeah, they're interesting. Anyway, very cool. Um, anyway, I really enjoyed that, that devastation game. So uh, I recommend our listeners, if any of them like bullet hell, some good games there between those first two, for sure. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, so you, you also mentioned um, in some of our earlier discussion there, uh, you're, you have a retro game collection. Yes. Uh, t t tell me a little about that. So I have, let's say, a Super Nintendo, um, one of the, the second versions of it, like the slim version of it. It's mm. not the uh, Super Nintendo classic that people have been buying on the yeah. shelves, but yeah. it's the smaller version of the, I guess, the system or the console. Anyway, yeah. I have an N64 and I have 13 original Xboxes. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so it's like some of them are just collectors. Um, yeah. Some of them I have one in five thousand in the world, and another one I have one in a thousand in the world. Well, one of the launch team consoles. Uh, so, very cool. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I, let's move on to the next question then. Here then, and um, tell me about um, and tell us about your current game engine. You know the general tool chain you're using, and uh, what's the tech you like to use to build games. Okay, so there's only like a small um, group of tools that I use mm -hmm. and uh, Unity, of course, that I, I'm using because it's the most simple one for indie developers for sure because yeah. I don't know if I could just go right to Unreal Engine. But uh, anyway, um, I would use Unity Engine and then I have the Adobe Creative Suite. So one of the tools that I use the most is Photoshop and yeah. I, I guess the one I would use second would be After Effects. So I, I build all the video uh, animations and all the graphics with these two programs. And then yeah. I have, I guess the, I don't have any 3D modeling programs other than uh, Photoshop, which is kind of weird because you make mm. a 2D image and then you export it as a 3D model in Unity. So I built a few levels in Devastation to do uh, with that tool. And I did mention this uh, to some people and they're like, what, you can... 3d yeah. model in in photoshop like that's that's really strange but uh yeah i'd use uh pro builder hmm. pro, pro builder asset uh it, it's a lot better than what it was when it first got released but uh, now it's uh it's quite good but uh i've actually expanded its limitations so i've had a 3d model that was so big that if I created a face or extruded something, then it would yeah. dis it would take another face and and remove it. It would just d d disappear completely. Hmm. So, so what's the asset look like when you when you do a three D model in Photoshop? Is it is it a single image, or are you basically do you, do you lay out like multiple faces of the object in some 
some decisions as you're importing it on what you extrude and like how does that work? So it has some like features uh, in the program where you could just like let's say make you make a diamond. So um, when you go into 3D mode, you could take that diamond and you can spin it around and make like a crystal. Ah. So you would export the crystal into the game, and then I would just basically drag and drop it wherever I wanted. Hmm, interesting. So in Photoshop, it has some of those tools. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's the one I'm not familiar. I'm a pretty big, uh, I use Photoshop a lot, but I use the most basic features. <laughs> the artist sends me art, I do, you know, cropping, scaling, <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, oh, very cool. Um, so, in terms of sound and audio, um, how, how much of that content, as you said, you make all your art and, and, and models and all that. How about sound in that? Do you purchase assets? Do you make a mix? Do you make your own? Um, with just sound effects uh, alone, uh, I would take my Samsung Galaxy phone yeah. and I would record <laughs> me making like uh, sounds. Um, I know in Vervias, I I have an elevator um, that goes up and down, so I need sounds for this elevator. So what I did was I go, I went into my bathroom and I recorded the sound of me opening up the dryer. Um, like oh, yeah. the, for your clothes yeah. and then i would shut the dryer and then i get that sound and then i turn the dryer on and then get the machine sound so i take these three oh, yeah. sounds and then i'd import them into uh addition uh and then i'd basically mess with it until i i get the sound when, uh, that i want nice that's very cool <laughs> <laughs> super creative for sure um how about on the the, the music side do you i do compose yourself or do you buy assets for that um so i've been using this program called magic's music maker um mm -hmm. i'm quite disappointed in it because uh, the newer one has so many bugs in the software that it's really hard to make a make a song now but um the 2014 version of it i was able to basically take um different instruments and then i could key point them in like mm -hmm. into a uh, i can't remember what it's called um like a bar. So like a bar of eight slots, then yep. you'd put say like four. Um, I don't know how to explain it, but uh, yeah, just use magic music maker in. So like the music for devastation one that I played, it had quite the soundtrack, you know, very intense. Did you essentially create that music, compose that music yourself using yeah. magic maker? Um, some cool. of it, uh, like most of it was my own, yeah. uh keys but uh, uh some of it that i added like the the drums and the the bass and stuff like that was just sound loops ever yeah. implemented into the uh, program itself nice so you kind of assembled some bits that sounded good got the thing wrote some of the stuff and, and put yeah. it all together with matchmaker very cool yeah well it fits the game really well um i, I enjoyed it so okay well, let's um let's talk about your current game project for Vias. Um, how'd you arrive at the idea? Tell us a bit about that and, and then tell us a bit about the game and, and plans for it. So this game was inspired um, basically from that Doom prototype that I was talking about in uh, NSCC. Oh, yeah. I stayed yeah. up all night. Um, so this game, I called it Hellfire. And I was like, I wanted to build an actual first person shooter that was like actually legit that I could do. So... I was mainly inspired by Quake and Doom and Duke Nukem and stuff like that. So I kind of took the mechanics yep. of each, uh, like pieces of those games, and I, I decided to make a game more towards the Quake because I like Quake's atmosphere. And Quake One was more like, say, scary or like it had more like raw gameplay than I'd say the other Quakes, like Quake Two and Quake Three. Um, are, I guess arena or whatever it was called. Mm -hmm. um, they're like two separate different games compared to the first, first game. So it was like, I always wanted like quake five and I wanted them to go back to the roots of the first quake yeah. and have that whole atmosphere. So once again, I'm getting tired of the developers <laughs> not making it. So um, I decided yeah. to make Vervias uh, based on quake. Nice. And what's, um, How's that looking in terms of uh, platforms and release dates? Are you thinking Steam? 
Yeah, start I'm going to try to get it on Steam. I yeah. am talking a little bit to uh, ID Xboxes. I know they mm-hmm. have a, a partner uh, system with them. Um, and basically, I'm going to try to get it released on Xbox One. Nice. Um, where I have the game is it's a, it's only a small demo. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get it on like switch or like say PS four or five, but uh, basically I could do that through a publisher if I was, yeah, I don't know, eligible for it. Yeah. Okay. So right now you're thinking steam and you're, you're, you're working the Xbox angle and then you'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. Nice. All right. So uh, if people want to find out more about Vervias, where, where can they go have a look? Is there a Steam page for it yet, or is it still a little early? You can't get on there and wishlist it yet. Yeah, it's not on Steam quite yet. Um, I'm waiting for the first 10 levels to be built, and then I'll have like a shareware demo that nice. uh, will basically be free to download, and oh, yeah. uh, people can play test it and then leave feedback and stuff. Um, but uh, mainly right now, I have it on itch.io. Um, I was even leaving dev logs on there that you could see what was changed in the game, um, any problems that were in previous builds uh, that I fixed in the newer ones. Um, I did I did have a demo on itch.io to download, but I kind of removed it because more of the game is being developed and I don't want people to see hmm. everything in the yeah. game. Yeah. So that's kind of why I took it off. Yeah, that's the dilemma when you're, you know, as an indie marketing your game, you use things like you know, dev logs and Twitter and that, and you post screenshots. You, you also don't want to give away all the surprises. And the exactly. Fun, but, but, you know, it's tough, tough balance. Um, so we we met at Halcon there. It's kind of how we connected for this um, podcast. And you were there showing Vervais. Um Halcon was the uh, kind of the, the Comic Con event that included a lot of digital media and uh, games and other things in, in Halifax, Nova Scotia. That was a few weeks ago, I think now. How did you enjoy Halcon? How was that experience for you, Mike? It was a lot of fun. I was kind of nervous because of the whole like post-pandemic thing, but yeah. uh, um, I, it, it was, was just it was a big proper crowd. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was it was very very busy like it used to be like two years yeah. ago. So I'm glad that, like things didn't change. But um, like I was kind of sponsoring the NSCC um, booth as well as my game at that. Uh, um, at that event. So, right. um, with Vervias, uh, being showcased, uh, at the, um, ISNS booth, um, this was like a new thing that they started. So I was super, super surprised uh, all of a sudden that they were like, Hey, indie devs come show off your game at Halcon. So I was like, Oh wow, this is a great opportunity to actually showcase Vervias. Um, so I was just super happy cause I actually had people, come up uh, to the the showcase and actually p- test out the game uh, for the first time. And like, I didn't have to ask anybody. They just came up, just asked me some questions about the game. Um, and I always asked them, I was like, how did you enjoy it? Is there any problems they had or anything like that? Yep. And uh, they're just there. Most of it was like, so this is your game. I'm like, yeah, this is my game. It's like you built this whole thing by yourself. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It's nice to get real world feedback and uh, see other people uh, have some fun with the game, isn't it? <laughs> makes makes it a little easier to finish the job. Those long days. Yeah, good. I'm glad it was a good experience. Um, yeah, it was. I, I thought it was a great experience too, and a nice opportunity for indies like yourself and myself to just have a chance to see some other humans play your game and, and see what it looks like when they play it. Find out you made everything too hard. Usually is what I find, but you know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway. I was just, I was just happy to like yeah. be able to play other people's games as well. Yeah. Cause uh, there was another guy who was behind me um, that was showcasing his game. And so I played that and then other days on, I think, Friday and Sunday, there was also some other indie devs from Ontario uh, that came down and uh, basically showcased their games as well. So I was just watching on the side and seeing what they're doing. And it was just a nice experience all the all together. Yeah, it was good. I I, I agree. I'm definitely going to going to going to keep my ears open for more events and things like that, for sure. Agreed. 
Okay, Mike, well, let's, uh, let's take a break from making games and instead talk about the top five games that influenced you. So I'm, I'm excited by your list, Mike. So let's dig in. <laughs> All right, number five. Now, I think, I think a lot of these names based on our, pre, our current conversation won't be a shock to people, but let's start with number five. Uh, it's a game by Climax Entertainment published in the early 90s, 92, 93 timeframe, Landstalker. Treasures of King Knoll, is that yep, correct? That's correct. All right, and you, you, the platform you picked was the Sega Genesis. So, uh, t tell us a little about the game and why it's on your list. So, ever since we got this game, um, it, it was like a complete random buy. Like, yeah, this isn't something that I seen that was like, oh my god, I have to get this. So it was a random buy, and when we bought it, um, I, I was probably like seven or eight years old at the time. And this game was a very big game for Sega Genesis. So I liked the whole exploration and kind of like the whole side quest that they had, uh, the items in the game and the inventory. Um, I know there's these like jewels that you could gather. And I always like had an inspiration. It's like, I want to take these jewels and actually give your character power. It's like uh, some of them give you like strength or speed or something like that. Mm -hmm. But um that's where it like inspired me to, to like make Landstalker too, because I wanted to take these, <laughs> take these uh, ideas and make them come to life. So yeah. I've played this game to death. Literally I've played it to death. Like yeah. I know the ins and outs of the game. Um, no matter how many times I've played it, it'll still be like my childhood favorite game. Do you have a, a Sega Genesis kicking around? You can still play it on, or can you play it on uh, the virtual console? Somewhere? I actually sold the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ended up selling it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this game really influenced my creativity because when I was like seven or eight years old, I was creating the swords that were in the game, yeah. and I was creating like shields and um, the jewels and like just cool stuff. Like it just really brought my creativity to life yeah yeah and we had we had a sega genesis growing up that was one of the consoles we had for a while and i don't remember playing this game but i did go online at when i saw your pick and have a look at some videos on it and it it was a very classic it looked like a well done version of a very common style that kind of isometric big characters on this isometric world you're exploring picking up fighting um yeah it looked 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 like a good one though in terms of the polish yeah it was like an underrated game compared to zelda so it was yeah. basically the zelda version for sega genesis yeah, yeah it looked it looked looked in that in that vein um but yeah that that was one of the differences too i found was that the genesis style versus the nes style right you yeah more of the zelda top down and different type of view and then the uh, Genesis loved the isometric, loved kind of almost the higher tech, isometric blocky games. And uh, yeah. that was one of them for sure. See, Landstalker had like a very unique control system. So if you mm. press like up, you would move up. But if you press right, you would move up. <laughs> yeah. So you would have to press up and right to move on a diagonal. So that's how the game was built. It was basically built on an angle. On an angle and I don't yeah. know how they did it, but it was it's just <laughs> really cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Landstalker. So number four, and this is one we've uh, talked about a little bit already here. It was published in 2016 for the PS4. Is that correct? By Zona Games? That's correct. And this was Score Rush Extended. And uh, interesting fact, as, as you mentioned, uh, the, the professor you talked there came out of Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. So a, a very yeah. local game for some of our listeners here. Yeah, tell us about this game. So Score Rush, like, it had a really cool music track. And, like, it had, like, some enemies and mini bosses. And then, like, you really had like so many bullets on the screen that you couldn't move anywhere yeah um and it got gradually harder as the levels uh, uh progressed so like the mechanics of the game i really really liked um was having the power-ups being divided among the players so like if you're full on like your ammo or something like that and then if you kill the boss then your second player would 
uh, gain that amount of ammo because they would be low on it. Mm-hmm. Um, other mechanics are like uh, if you die and you game over and you're playing on a two player and your other player is like kicking ass, so you would press start and then you take their lives and Steal you come back into lives. the game. Yeah, <laughs> good so, and bad depends on your relationship with the other player. <laughs> <laughs> So score rush extended when we were playing it at Halcon, um, I really was like, I wonder if I could build a game like this. And it's like, it's a 2D shoot 'em up. And I didn't think it would be too, too hard to build uh, something like this. And the programming for it was, it, it blew my mind because it was a lot more complicated than I actually thought. And it was more of the yeah. mechanics of the the play and i didn't even get the mechanics perfect until later on after devastation 2 was released Mm. and when i was talking to my buddy here he has a brother as well and they both created uh score rush extended so they were giving me feedback on devastation 1 about um the mechanics of the game it's like uh using uh say a physics uh versus uh based on your frame rate mm-hmm. and it, it changed the whole gameplay of the game so oh did you do the first pass where it was really assuming a fixed frame rate and kind of all the math was based on like ticks as opposed to time yeah um and did you change it to be based more on time and like physics and distance is that kind of a change you made well what I did was originally is I had a rigid body add force um, to mm. the bullets or something like that when I should yep. just be moving the bullets based on how many frames have passed. Mm. So you would get like a basically the movement of the bullet wouldn't be pixel perfect, we'll just say. Uh, okay. So yeah, you'd end up getting hit like after a certain amount of frames. I don't know. It's really hard to explain, but. Mm. Well, the, 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 the bullets have to follow very specific patterns for it to be, I guess, what's the word, like manageable for the player, right? Because those, those patterns open up opportunities to, yeah. to dodge that. And if things start getting off, you end up with just a, you end up with genuine bullet hell where it's just a mush. It's just a mess, yeah. And then, and... then there isn't a, and no longer fun, right? So, yeah. So all that, all that math and precision and uh, patterns matter. I think that that's the art of bullet hells. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think that was one thing that went missing uh, when I was making Devastation 1 is like I, I had the, the enemies just shoot the bullets, but it wasn't in a pattern. It was just every mm. second yeah. um, they would just release a bullet. And we're in score rush. They had these really cool patterns that yeah. like all these bullets just spiral around in a circle, yeah. and then you just go in between like – yeah. just the open areas it's just it was really cool and then i guess that's one uh feature that i missed yeah because at the yeah. time yeah. i was building this game for the first time and yeah. like i've never built a 2d shoot em up before so i was mm. still learning so i didn't know how to do it yeah. you did have, you did end up with some interesting patterns though again i, pl- I played through that one I, I would say it was less of some of the traditional patterns you'd see in that there, there weren't like uh spreads and and the uh, the circular ones that are coming out in a wave, or or the like, there's kind of some clear patterns. Yours was a little more. You had a lot of bullets. There was definitely patterns going on. Some of them would shoot at you. Some of them would shoot when you kill them, and some of them would go in different directions. So all these patterns evolved. Um, but I would say it was a, a little bit atypical. It wasn't your traditional. Oh, here this thing's going to shoot a a spread at me, or this is going to shoot a whatever at me right that you what see I, in a lot of games what i actually did was um there's two things um like two states in the enemy um well mainly the boss mm. so there was shoot at the player and yep. then shoot straight so uh, for if you shot the boss and you brought down its health to like a certain amount then it would switch its state so it would uh, shoot at the player, but if you start beating it again, it'd switch it by shooting straight. So it would catch the player off guard completely. Right. Yeah. Switching those patterns up to keep you guessing. Okay. Very cool. So um, score rush extended, and uh, how good did you get at that game? Uh, I'm all right with it, but yeah, I'm not yeah. like any pro by any <laughs> <laughs> any means. <laughs> but but clearly, in terms of uh, influenced you, it influenced you to literally build your own bullet hell games yeah yeah okay great 
All right, let's go move on to your third game on the list. Released in 1996 by 3D Realms for the PC and 64. Duke Nukem 3D. Tell us why this game's on your list. So I played this game like a ton when I was a kid, uh, especially the PC version of it. And there was a shareware version. Um, I was really inspired by the weapons, like the RPG <laughs> and the Ripper. And uh, I, the why I like listed the N64 version is because the N64 version actually has different weapons than the PC version of it. Right. So, I mean, Duke Nukem 3D and Duke Nukem 64, they're like, they're the same game, but they're just different weapons. It's really weird. Hmm. Um, but I wonder if uh, it's licensing and terminology getting onto the Nintendo platform. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know in the early days of Nintendo, they were cautious about violence, although they did, as we know, end up getting Doom on there and other things eventually. <laughs> I think they did make some changes. Yeah. <laughs> So Duke Nukem, um, it had the Ripper Cannon, uh, and I really wanted to build, a, uh, I guess, that same gun in Vervias. I call it ah. the Spiker Cannon. So <laughs> uh, Quake had its nail gun um, and had its super nail gun. So I basically, I, I didn't want a super nail gun because it's like kind of redundant to have another nail gun. Yeah. So um, I just step, uh, kept it with the... Uh, um, spiker cannon it would just it'd be basically be the ripper but it, sh it shot uh um, nails hardware nails <laughs> nice so that was a certainly one of the games that influenced vervias for you anyway and your yeah. your push into first person shooters and that genre so with with the uh, duke nukem 64 uh the final gun with that uh instead of it being the freezer cannon, I think it was in Duke Nukem 3D. It was an actual plasma cannon. So this gun was like my favorite gun out of literally all the shoot 'em ups. You would charge it up, you would fire it, and it basically obliterated everything <laughs> in sight. It wiped them, like wiped all the enemies clean. And so in Vervias, I built a kind of a BF, uh, PFG game, uh, type gun from like Doom and. I made it like the plasma cannon. Hmm. So you charge it up, it shoot this big ball of energy that's like compressed. And then when it would like basically touch anything, it would ignite this explosion. It would like freeze up your screen and it would just kill everything in sight. So it's like, I just really like that mechanic. So you like the, 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 uh, what, what do the kids say? OP weapons. Yeah. The OP <laughs> weapons. <laughs> uh, Nice. All right, let's move on to your second game, Mike. Um, similar vein. This is a newer version uh, released, developed by id Software, published by Bethesda in 2016. PC, Xbox One, Doom Eternal. Tell us why this game's on your list and how it influenced you, Mike. So Doom Eternal is basically the first person shooter I've always wanted. Like this is, has everything I need in a first person shooter. So you got all your demonic enemies. Um, <laughs> you got your big guns. Uh, and then you have like a really nice uh, UI menu and the levels are not overly dynamic and they're linear so you can just mm, just mm -hmm. go through and kill everything it's just like i really really like the fast gameplay the gore and just being able to kick ass basically visceral <laughs> yeah visceral and not a maze game it's you know you can get through the level without having to take notes it's more about the gameplay and the speed and the visceral yeah yeah and and like the harder the difficulty, the harder you got to play. Yeah. So the faster you got to be, the more quick and precise you have to be with your aiming. And like, you got to know all the secrets and all the, where all the ammo boxes are and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. um, this is where it's like inspired me to build uh, in Vervias is trying to have that balance. I really, mm -hmm. really want to have that balance in the game. Yeah. It was interesting. I'm not, um, myself, I don't play a ton of first person shooters. I just, um, play a few, uh, my, my, a few in my family play a lot and I tend to watch. I, I do really, um, there's a book called Masters of Doom. Did you ever read that, Mike? Uh, no, I haven't. Be, be worth a Google. You're, you're, you, you like it a lot. It was, uh, 
who's wrote it, David Kushner. It's a, a, it's it's written by a writer, but it's a biography on id Software, kind of their origins all okay. through up, right up until uh, uh, you know uh, Carmack basically kind of left and, and got into uh, rockets there and Thermodilla Aerospace and that. Anyway, fa- really interesting read if you're into the video game scene and 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 watching the the craziness that was id Software in the day. <laughs> and uh, that whole general industry, but one of the things that that jumped out um, at me when you, when you spoke of that was there's in the writing you can see their focus on level design, and they it was a very conscious decision by a lot of them. It did that focus more on speed, focus on that visceral gameplay. You know they they cut features out of Doom because it slowed down the game. They cut features out of Wolfenstein because it slowed down the game. Just, yeah. So that was exactly what they're shooting for. Was that that gameplay that I think you, you talked about there. Um, cause yeah. So anyway, we, we were limited to our hardware back in the nineties. Yeah. So yeah. like having people had to basically optimize every single thing in order to oh, make yeah. the, and that's why doom is portable on it. Like every system. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, one of my favorite parts from that book too, was um, when Romero left it there or was, you know, they parted ways and he had his big studio in Dallas and he was building his game. He planned to upgrade the game they're working on to the new Quake engine. And then when the Quake engine came out, he was like, uh-oh. Because <laughs> it wasn't like an upgrade. Just everything was redone and optimized differently. And he's like, oh, man. Because <laughs> you're right. Everything just hit like the, the hardware. It wasn't standard back then. You were optimizing yeah. at, a, at a pretty granular level. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, well, let's move on to your first game. Another id Software, certainly one of their, next to Doom, one of their other biggest games of all time, I'm sure. Id, id Software's 1996 Quake for PC. So tell us uh, why this game topped your list, Mike. So this is another one that I've grown up with, just like Landstalker. Um, I played this more than anything, and it was yeah. always a shareware demo. Um this one really like inspired me about the whole exploration as well as like fast gameplay, mm-hmm. like the doom. Um, some of the, the weapons I always like typed in like the command, uh, command console and then you type in like codes or whatever um, and you get all the guns and the weapons and then you just fly through the levels as fast as you can. Yeah. So yeah. it's just super fun to, to do stuff like that. But uh like just the overall level design and the way quake was built is it's amazing i like some of it's just very simple level design but it really impacts how you play the game mm. and the monsters in this game really made a difference uh because like you got your weak ones that can do some relative damage and then you got these stronger enemies that basically you have like grenade launchers and stuff and then you got these other like beasts and creatures that like they shoot like acid or like lightning from your hands like <laughs> it's just so cool um so dark and eerie um mm. atmosphere that quake has is like it, it didn't really need music you had this like like the moaning of zombies in the background you could hear the the lava bubble and the the water and uh just like the whole atmospheric ambient sounds um it was just yeah it just made the the game and it was it was nine inch nails did the soundtrack for for quake was it not yeah yeah so you had that on top of it even if you didn't need the sound when when you did have the music on it was pretty intense music I think at the time, like I couldn't get the music working, so I still played the game as oh, yeah. as it was. So, yeah. Nice. So, how do you think Quake? Um, you know, in terms of being a, a game you played, a game that you you really enjoyed and liked those aspects about it. How do you think it influenced you in terms of working on Vervius and, and other games you're thinking of building? So, what would be its main influence if you had to take one from it. So Quake, like the mechanics of how it's designed is it really had to make me think on Mm -hmm. how to build Vervius. And I kind of see it as like almost walking in the shoes of John Romero and John Carmack as they built Quake. It's like like the impact um, that you get from 
blasting an enemy like in your face or like how much yeah. damage it did um how fast the elevators have to move when you go on them um and just like trying to learn how to get the player to swim just like in quake uh, it was very very difficult mm. and the actual like the enemy design of like it's very very simple and yep. it looks simple in quake but like the actual AI design and code was it's so much harder. I'm going to say that's probably the hardest thing that I had to do in Vervias was the actual enemy design and the AI programming. So, so you're really using it as a little bit of a, a, it's mas- a guide. A, a, yeah, a master class in some level design and enemy design and AI, like really taking what worked in Quake and trying to bring it to Vervias as pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it makes sense. I mean, it's uh, both the highest, what's it called, the, the highest imitation, the highest form of flattery, as well as, I mean, you, you got to build on build on what's worked in the past. You look at game design and game theory now, you've got 30, 40 years of, of history of learning what makes a game fun, learning what's rewarding to a player, right? Exactly. It's important not to ignore those lessons. Yeah. Nice. Well, good list. Definitely a, uh, a, a a 90s, early 2000s list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or I think I think most of my guests' lists date themselves as to their formative years playing video games, but uh, just like with music. But that's, that's great. Um, listen, Mike, I, I super enjoyed talking with you today. It was a ple- pleasure having you on the show. And uh, where should we send listeners to learn more about Vervias and in Phoenix in your studio and upcoming projects? So you can just go to michaelwills.net um, and all of the games that I've ever made, all the stuff that was designed, all the content is all on that website. And uh, if you want to check out Vervias itself, it's all on HIO, the devlogs mm. and stuff. And mainly, I'm mostly active on Twitter. So I post content and game stuff, and it's all on Twitter. Great. All right. Well, it's a pleasure having you today, Mike. Take care and best of luck with your uh, future endeavors. Thank you for having me, and thank you for interviewing me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Indie Dev Game Break Podcast, where we interview indie game creators on their inspiration, technology, and the top games that influence them. The Indie Dev Game Break Podcast is hosted by Grant Karstensen with Stray Voltage Games. Music provided by Village Sound from Nova Scotia, Canada. Art and graphic design by Chad Boulier.